have a sneaky feeling that some people prefer a god that's more like a robot, a detached, programmable, predictable deity in the sky. And while God is consistent in character and characteristics, I think we lose something when we divorce him from his human experience and all that comes with it. You are listening to Happy and Holy, a podcast about discipleship and community and how we meet each other right where we are to be the people of God on planet Earth. And when we do, we have the potential to become the happy and holy disciples we were meant to be. I'm your host, Kate Boyd, and we're in a season talking about and rediscovering and reorienting how we think about Jesus of the Bible. Because... I don't know about you, but he's kind of surprising to me. And today we're talking all about the Jesus who had emotions and what that means for all of us humans who've got emotions too. So you might be wondering, why in the world are we even talking about this? And it felt timely because just last week, someone um, who has a lot of influence said that empathy is a sin. (laughs) And I honestly can't wrap my brain around that, but I think um, it's to say that is missing a lot of who God is, but is missing a lot of who Jesus is. And I think Jesus shows us very clearly um, that empathy is not a sin, Um, because if it was, he would have sinned, and that's kind of our whole thing, right? (laughs) Um, So let's talk about where we get this idea from where do we get this idea? And I think it really comes down to a couple of um, ideas about the character of God in two particular um, characteristics, right? The immutability and the impassibility of God. So the immutability of God means that God doesn't change. He is unchangeable, doesn't change, period. And the impassibility of God means, um, well, there's several meanings, right? So back in the olden days, early on, um, passion was suffering, right? You, It meant you could suffer. And so the impassibility of God was that he could not suffer. So that any suffering he did within Jesus was within the human, the humanity of him. Um, and But it also has come to me now that God doesn't change emotions, that he doesn't feel like we feel. And I think that's true and not true, right? Like, I think God has emotion. But to say that God has emotion doesn't mean that God has emotion the way that we have emotion. And that's sort of the thing that we get stuck in. Um, I mean, and I think, too, it's really hard to separate the humanity and the divinity of Jesus because the reality is that that's who he is, right? Like the whole point is that he was fused as God and man. Um, so in his divine nature, he did suffer because of the human part of him, right? Um, but here's the other thing that I think is really important is that just because you have emotions does not mean that you must be controlled by them, right? Right? Like, I think that's where we sort of, like, lose our way. We start to think of feelings as 
bad things. And I think they've been weaponized a lot in our culture. And there's even sort of like the opposite where like every feeling is truth and we must act on all the feelings. And I don't think that's it either. I think there is a space where we can recognize feelings and emotions as information and they help us process what's going on inside of us and how we should be reacting and looking at the world or how we're interacting with the world in general. And that's where I sort of feel like this becomes weaponized against so many people. And it also becomes weaponized a lot against women because women are apparently the emotional ones, right? Um, or even that I think in a way, in that way, it's weaponized against men because then men can't have emotions. And so we end up in this space where all the men are repressed and all the women are hysterical for everything that they do. And I don't think either of those are healthy options. But if we look at the story of Jesus, the story of Jesus is a story of empathy. It is. By its very nature, God becoming human is as empathetic as you can get. The incarnation is empathy. For him to walk around, be constrained as a baby in a body, in a body that dies and then comes back like he he's breaking what it means to be human in a lot of ways, right? He's expanding that. He's resurrecting from the dead and showing us what we will do someday because someday we will break what it means to be human in that way. Um, not completely because uh, humanity is a great thing and it was designed to be a great thing. We will be sort of reaching that n- new level of humanness that we can reach. And the story of Jesus is this story of empathy in the incarnation. And his life was full of times where he met people and had feelings. And so I want to talk about some of those things because I think it's important that we don't divorce the humanity from Jesus and that we celebrate feelings and that we celebrate empathy because I think that's that's part of what it means to be human and to be a good human too. So perhaps one of the most famous examples, I would say, of Jesus with emotions is at the death of his friend, Lazarus. So if we're looking at John 11, um, you know, it talks all about how um, a certain man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village where Mary and her sister Martha lived. Um, And, you know, he heard that Lazarus was sick, but he remained in place and he loved Lazarus, right? He was their friend. Um, and so as he then goes to Bethany, um, we see this, uh, in, so again, John 11 verse 17, we'll see this here. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days already. Um, Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, so many of the Jewish people of the region had come to Mary and Martha to console them over the loss of their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will grant you. And Jesus is comforting her even saying your brother will come back to life again. And so then they talk about the resurrection because she's like, I know he will eventually. Um, 
And he's like, no, but it's, it's actually going to happen here. <laughs> um, and so uh, after this, like Mary heard that he had been asking for her. And so she got up quickly and went to him. And it says, now Jesus had not yet entered the village, was still in the place where Martha had come out to meet him. Then the people who were with Mary in the house, consoling her, saw her get up and quickly go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Jesus, now when Mary came to the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the people who had come with her weeping, he was intensely moved in spirit and greatly distressed. He asked, where have you laid him? They replied, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Thus the people who had come to mourn said, look how much he loved him. So. You know, and there from there they go and like talk about how he could have saved, like, couldn't he have saved him? And then, even as Jesus gets to the tomb in verse 38, it says, Jesus, intensely moved again, came to the tomb. And like, here it is, right? It's Jesus with emotion. He weeps with them, he gets to the tomb and is moved. He is feeling this along with Mary and Martha. You know, his friend has died and he weeps. Um, And he spends time with them. He's relational with them. And that's so important. He has this empathy. And I think sometimes we miss that. Does it mean that it changed anything about the character of God? Does it mean that it was the weeping that moved him to resurrect Lazarus? No, because we see early on, he's like, we're going to wait to go, he's going to die and it'll be fine. And then he's like, look, he's going to be raised again. So he's trying to tell them it didn't change who Jesus was, but he felt those things. It was real, right? And even if we look at, you know, the last episode, we talked about the feeding narratives about, you know, seeing all of these people who were with him who had just been wandering around for several days with him in the wilderness and didn't have any food, and he had compassion on them. He was moved to help them. Um, you know, so if you want to look at Mark 6 and Mark 8 for those, because we talked about them a little more in depth last time, um, like these are things that he felt. Um, and I even think cleansing the temple is part of this, right? Um, after it, and if you look at John 2, um, it says, after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. Now the Jewish feast of Passover was near, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple courts those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers sitting at tables. So he made a whip of cords and drove them out of the temple courts with the sheep and the oxen. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold the doves, he said, take these things from here. Do not make my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house would will devour, devour me. And so, like, you know, this is, and it's in Matthew too. He's, you know, <laughs> turning over chairs and tables. Um, now, I don't imagine this, like, I feel like the, a famous version of somebody flipping a table, right? Or trying to flip a table. I always think of, like, the Real Housewives of New Jersey <laughs> when Teresa does that. But it's not like that, right? It's not this, he was suddenly moved to this 
awful anger. It's that this anger came from a place of his character and he then acted according to his character with this justice bent anger. Does that make sense? And so while he had this, it doesn't mean he was driven by the anger or the upsetness, right? He was driven by the character and by the perversion of of what he was seeing. And so it's really it's really interesting to see how Jesus had emotions in his life. Now, um let me see the next couple of things. Um okay, so Let's look at Matthew 26, 2. And this is where we're going to see the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, And this has always been kind of fascinating to me. Not only does he sort of pray for his disciples or he's there and even has a measure of frustration, right, with his disciples as he's, he's asked like his inner circle to, hey, stay up, pray with me, sit here. I'm going to go. And he wants to pray. And he's like, they can't even stay up. He's like, why can't you even stay up for me? So this is, we've got a lot of different emotions here. Um, But I'm going to read a few verses from Matthew 26, um, starting in verse 36. So it says, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and came and became anguished and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved, even to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he threw himself down with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if possible, let this cup pass for me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, So you couldn't stay awake with me for one hour? Stay awake and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will must be done. He came again and found them sleeping. They could not keep their eyes open. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, are you still resting and sleeping? Look, the hour is approaching and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us go. Look, my betrayer is approaching. So we see a lot of things. He is um, anguished and distressed his soul is deeply grieved even to the point of death. Um, and he's, you know, throwing himself self down with his face to the ground and praying um, that this cup pass from him, right? But he's doing that in submission still to God saying, you know, I don't want to do this. Um, it It's going to, it's going to be terrible. I don't want to do this. I think he fully grasped that. And even so, he surrendered to God in that. Like we see his emotions and we see his character in those moments and how it's being surrendered as he goes. And then he gets up and he's just had all of this, right? There's some of the narratives, right, where he's like sweating blood because this is like such an anguished thing for him Um, because it's hard when you're about to face your death. I've not had, I've not done that, but 
it's a hard thing to reckon with, I imagine. And especially when your death means so much on a global, eternal scale, you know, we have to remember he is God, yes, and he is gonna follow through, and this is big, but he's also human. Like, I can relate. Like, if I knew that I was about to be arrested and killed, I would also be anguished and distressed. I just feel like I would. And then I would be upset if my friends couldn't hang out with me when I asked them to or keep watch or whatever, you know? I would be a little frustrated, probably. Like, I'm about to go do this big thing and you guys can't even, like, hang out here while I pray for a little bit. Um, You know, it's, it's very human. And I love that about Jesus. I think when we try to strip away some of the emotions, um not only do we do a disservice to what emotions can be and mean and that part of our humanity, but we strip away some of what who Jesus was in his humanity. Um, and it's so interesting to me. And then I think even when we get to um, Matthew 27, right, when he's dying, He says, now from noon until three, darkness came over the land. At about three o'clock, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like, you don't cry out that just for the heck of it. It's not like he's reciting lines wrote from a play. Um, I mean, he is obviously quoting from Psalm 22, but it's also like, it's coming from a real place to feel the abandonment of God in a moment. Like that's a lot, that's a lot to have on a person or to even like feel compelled to say those things in a time when you're dying. Um, It's yeah. I mean, and this is what I, this is why I love. And I know I said this in my first solo episode of the season. Like I love that God became human for us, that he walked around in all of these constraints and and the feelings and expressing them and showing us how we can express them in a healthy way, like I think is so impressive to me. It is this empathy, not only that he feels it, but then he displays it. And I think one of the best places, um, and uh, it's going to be the whole chapter of John 20, basically. I'm not going to read all of that um, because it's a lot. But, you know, we he's resurrected. Mary Magdalene is there and she's like really upset, <laughs> right? In verse 10, it says, so the disciples went back to their homes. Like they all came to the, to the tomb. They all left. Um, the disciples came went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. As she wept, she bent down and looked into the tomb. As she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Mary replied, they have taken my Lord away and I do not know where they have put him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? Because she thought he was the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will take him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. 
She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus replied, Do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and tell my brothers and tell them I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And then Mary Magdalene came and informed the disciples that she had seen the Lord and what Jesus had said to her. And that's just the first part, like this tenderness where he's like, why Why are you weeping? He didn't come up and be like, ta-da, or didn't get mad at her for not believing that he would be resurrected, just like he said that he would. Like, he comes and he is with her, you know, and just talks to her and says, now you carry this message for me. And I think we see a lot of the same tenderness born of his empathy um, in in like the the story of the Samaritan woman where he like sits down and he talks to her or even the other story in John with the adulterous woman, like he squats down, gets on her level and like protects her from everyone trying to stone her and, you know, lets it go. It's, and it's like, go sin no more. This is what it is. And he's even so kind, like with the disciples, <laughs> Um, he comes to them, they freak out, and he's like, peace be with you, and showed his hands and his side, um, and he's like, now I send you, and he gives them the Holy Spirit. And I also really love how in the same chapter, John 20, he meets Thomas um, with, like, kindness. You know, Thomas, it says in verse 24, now Thomas called Didymus one of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, unless I see the wounds from the nails in his hands and put my finger into the wounds from the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe it. Eight days later, the disciples were again together in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and examine my hands. Extend your hand and put it into my side. Do not continue in your unbelief, but believe. And Thomas replied to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are the people who have not seen and yet have believed. So it's not like Jesus was like, here, do the thing that you need to believe. Like believe with me. I'm here so that you can believe. And yes, he passes a blood. Like we usually talk about how, you know, terrible it is that Thomas needs to believe and needs to see to believe and how so much better that we don't. But I think when we do that, we like miss this whole part of the story of like Jesus saying, hey, I'm here. You asked, this is what you needed. I have it for you. And it's fine for you to need that. Look at this. I'll do that. And Thomas is like, I'm sorry, you know, I believe. My Lord, my God, I see you, I believe. And so when we remove the empathy from the incarnation, which is kind of impossible to do because that's, again, the point. Like, he could not do this without being human, could not redeem humanity without being human. And so that itself is a point of empathy, but then we miss all of the tenderness that is possible in Jesus and all the ways that we see his emotions um, affecting uh, the way that he interacted with people, um, not controlling him, but but being a part of his relationships with people, 
um, and how he connects with people. And so, like, to say that, say, emotions are bad, empathy is bad, is to condemn Jesus in those ways. And to say that, you know, men have to be manly, strong men who don't feel and don't cry um, takes that away from Jesus. You know what I mean? Um, and so I think it's so important that we remember this savior that we have, um, had a human experience. He had a human experience. He has a human experience. He's still walking around with a body somewhere. (laughs) Um, and, you know, he had the full human experience. And so for us to take that away from the equation, for us to ignore that in Jesus is to ignore the possibility for that in ourselves and to minimize part of who he was and what he did. So we can't do that, right? We can't forget that Jesus had feelings. And this is something that, um, we didn't really talk about a lot when I was a kid. You know, we were very like, Jesus did this, and we learn the stories. But to think about the humanity that is contained in all of this um, is beautiful to me. So Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. Absolutely. But Jesus is also human. And that's one of the best things about him. And that piece of the incarnation is where we can find that God cherishes our empathy, that God wants us to be relatable and to relate with other people. And even that emotions aren't bad. They are just another piece of information that we can use in this journey that we call a human life. Jesus is safe. Jesus is caring. Jesus gave us a glimpse of what being fully human can be, and that included having emotions and relating to others through them. They didn't make him less God, and they don't make us less godly either. And I don't know about you, but I take a lot of comfort in knowing that he will be as tender with me as he was with his friends because he counts me among them. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd love if you would rate and review on your favorite podcast player to help more people see Jesus anew. And if you are looking to create biblical community with intimacy and integrity, the Couches and Cathedrals newsletter is for you. Not only will you hear the latest updates about the podcast, but you'll also get weekly nuggets about building a community wherever you find yourself in location or in life. And you can sign up today at kateboyd.co slash newsletter. Until next time.